0: Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jane Ritter.
1: Morning everyone, Uh, another sunny but quite cold day here in Naples. This morning I'm joined by Dario Banegas and we'll be talking about all things CLIL.
0: Live from Naples, this is The Morning Break with Jay Ritter on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TTRadio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio.
1: I'm... As I'm waiting for my, my guest to join us this morning, I'm going to tell you a little bit about CLIL for those of you who are not very familiar with it, CLIL or Content and Language Integrated Learning is a teaching approach that involves using a foreign language to teach academic subjects. This can be an effective way for students to learn both new language and and subject matter simultaneously. So why might we as teachers consider using CLIL in our classrooms? Several benefits obviously to the approach. First, research has shown that learning a new language can have cognitive effect or co- cognitive benefits, sorry, such as improving problem solving and critical thinking skills. Um, additionally, CLIL can help students develop an appreciation and an understanding of other cultures, which can then quite subsequently foster a sense of global citizenship. And obviously one of the key aspects of this is careful planning and preparation. And I'm really looking forward to talking to dedio about this because his research has covered this in several countries. Um, it's a sort of three a three-tier, very complex process ranging from Argentina, Colombia, and Spain. Obviously, when you are teaching CLIL, when you are teaching CLIL, it's important to ensure that both the language and subject matter are being taught at a level appropriate to the students. And another thing that's really important to consider is how you actually assess. It can be a really powerful tool and it can enhance the learning experience for students. Obviously, by careful planning and implementing, teachers can provide their students with a really rich and meaningful learning experience that both language acquisition and subject matter knowledge. I'm just going to pause for a second and I will be right back. Ah, and good morning, Dario. Welcome to the show and lovely to have you with me. Um, Obviously, I've just been talking a little bit about CLIL, um, but I... And it's something that I am am really passionate about, um, and I'm, I'm I thoroughly thoroughly enjoyed reading your your research paper. I found it fascinating. Uh, but before we get on to that, could you just tell our listeners a little bit about you and
2: what you do? Thank you, Jane, and uh, thank you for the invite. And a little bit about me. Well, I am originally from Argentina and I am currently working with the University of Edinburgh. And before becoming a full-time academic, I was a teacher of English back in Argentina in secondary schools for almost 20 years, um, which is something I'm kind of I'm very proud of, actually, (laughs) because it's not very common among academics. No. (laughs) Um, But, of course, now um, I am a full-time lecturer and I am working in two different programs. So, um, yeah, that's about me. And I enjoy doing research and working with teachers and students, particularly in Latin America and particularly within CLIL. Uh, which is um, an approach that I find fascinating and I'm in love with.
1: <laughs> in, in your time as a teacher uh, in secondary schools, did you use CLIL?
2: Yes, mm. um, I did. It was a language-driven version of it because um, it was a state school in Patagonia. And what we did was we started to incorporate topics from science, from history, uh, from other subjects the students were doing uh, together with English, so that's how we, um, or I personally, started with with CLIL. And mm-hmm. initially, my first contact with the approach or, you know, the notion of combining um, curriculum content and language learning was through CBI content-based instruction, mm-hmm. that's more Canadian. But then later, I found an article or something about CLIL and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And <laughs> yeah, and the rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: at the moment, you're, you're lecturing, in, you're on two projects. What are they?
2: So my current projects are about... Um, Well, one is about pluriliteracies, and this is with Professor Doe Coyle, who I usually call the mother of CLIL. Mm -hmm. Um, She's based at the University of Edinburgh as well. And then my second project is connected to social justice. Um, And we are working with a group of secondary school teachers and students in Argentina, and the idea is that teachers and students create their own teaching and learning materials. And it is to some extent clear because they're learning about social justice, um, inequity, inequality, etc. So the content is um, that and the teachers will use it to, of course, teach English through that content. Uh, So those are the the two uh, projects that I am working on at the moment. And I always have other ideas and other things um, (laughs) in mind, and I have been told that I need to focus, but I just can't. (laughs) I find it too boring. What are the
1: best things about your job?
2: Uh, The best things about my job are, well, probably the chance to speak to teachers from, all over the world Mm. to work with um, teachers and students and to see how things develop in practice. So I am always interested in looking at cases of good practice and showcasing um, things that teachers are doing already Mm. um, in the classroom. And sometimes, well, more often than not, they don't get um, publicity because these teachers will not necessarily um, present at a conference or write a paper or have a blog or they think that what they do is not good enough and quite the contrary (laughs) more often than (laughs) not the things that they do are just amazing Mm. Um, so that's one of the things I enjoy the most about um, about my research and about my role. And yeah, because then you hear all these stories and you have the chance to get in touch with so many people. And it's just wonderful. I find it fascinating. And that's usually my source of inspiration to carry on doing research and different uh, projects. Yeah.
1: Wonderful. And so your... Um tell tell um tell our listeners how your your research paper evolved.
2: oh, so this was part of a british council um, call for um for projects mm-hmm. and um when we got it, we were hit by the covid nineteen pandemic and mm-hmm. all the restrictions around it so what was initially planned as um, a project where I would be traveling to Spain and Colombia and Argentina. That Mm. never happened.
1: That's a shame.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I bet you're a bit bit disappointed about that. Absolutely. (laughs) And the funny thing is that we got the grant, but we never used it. So my research was hundred percent free um, because we could never use the money because the money was um, to fund like the traveling mm-hmm. around. So we what we did was we carried out the research online because um, in the case of Argentina and Colombia, the teacher educators were working online, so they were mm-hmm. delivering their um, sessions online. So I would just join in mm-hmm. uh, through Zoom or Teams mm-hmm. and in the case of Spain, they, by the time we started collecting data, they had already um, gone back to um, face-to-face uh, teaching. So they would, Have a laptop, um, and I would join in. you were were hybrid? Remotely, yes, (laughs) through a hybrid kind of mode. Um, So it was a bit of a challenge, but that was reality. That was what Mm. we had to to work with, and there was no way out um, of that situation, or we couldn't find another. Um, Yes, that was the only option that we had. Um, so that slowed down our processes, but in the end, we got wonderful data from the students and the um, the participants, you know, the, the teacher educators and the students. They just did um, all these amazing projects and presentations and and it was great because you could listen to their own um, concerns about implementing CLIL. Because mm-hmm. what happens usually in teacher education is that um, we provide uh, theories and examples of this and that. But of course, you always have this question of, of you know, saying this sounds all this sounds very lovely and nice, but I'm not sure it will work. So wonderfully in practice. Um, So the students really managed to um, reflect on those tensions between what's in paper, so to speak, and what happens in the classroom. And they found amazing ways of of making it work in a manner that was uh, sustainable in a way that was Uh, contextually responsive. Um so that was fascinating and this is how we um ended up.
1: For those for those who are listening that perhaps haven't had a chance to read um your your paper, um what what was what what did you aim to do when you started? Um I can see it is I mean and there there are obviously different there are different countries and there are different approaches and um, different outcomes but um, what 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 was the aim when you started?
2: So the main aim was to um, produce a description of how student teachers are prepared Mm. to uh, for CLIL in different contexts so one was or different types of um, educational provision. One is where um, teachers will be teaching a subject in English. And so for example, we had these two programs based in Colombia and Spain. So these were primary school teachers or science teachers who would be teaching content in English, right? Mm. And then The other program, the one based in Argentina, was an English language teacher education program. And so student teachers were expected to use CLIL as a language teaching approach, if you will. Mm -hmm. So again, that was...
1: They've both had very different kinds. They've had different preparation because an an ELT preparation is slightly different from
2: a PGCE Um, Exactly, yes. They were very different because, for example, in the cases of Colombia and Spain, these student teachers or future teachers um, did not have strong preparation in English and mm -hmm. English language teaching because they were science teachers and they had completed a few, they had taken a few language courses and the level was maybe B2, B1, B2, whereas the Argentinian students were C1, Mm. because that was their programme. So they were (laughs) specifically um, studying a programme to become teachers of English. So it was interesting because, of course, um, we, the Colombian and the Spanish teachers, content wasn't a problem. So their concerns were about how to support the language side,
3: Mm.
2: how to make students aware of like grammar and vocab, etc. Whereas in the case of Argentina, the students' teachers' concerns were connected to the content. Mm. So they were, of course, good and, and, and they were confident about how to support language learning, but they were not confident about teaching content right. yeah um, so it was really interesting. <laughs> even in, I, mean, so, so I,
1: I could sympathize with that I'm sort of <laughs> doing some work with with some primary science at the moment and my my main concern is that I oh, I can't remember is it a proton or is it a neutron or is it an elect and and you know, you're having to go back and think about all that science that you haven't uh, looked at for years, um, it can be quite daunting.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. particularly in the case of um, secondary school teachers, where the content has to be um, more critically addressed and mm. more in depth. So this is when student teachers feel quite expectedly, of course, Feel less confident about mm. because they don't know, and they would have to spend more time uh, reading and studying, if you will. Um, so that was that was a challenge that the students had, which is a challenge that teachers have. <laughs> teachers don't yes. feel. Like, um, yes.
1: And what were the, the main, I don't, obviously we can't, you can't tell us everything, but it's there for people to read. But what do you think were the main, um, the main outcomes from the research? So the main
2: outcomes were linked to um, encouraging teachers and well, student teachers and their trainers to be more aware of um, different strategies for teaching and learning, for supporting content, for supporting language. So um, through the research, we concluded that when student teachers receive more systematic support, and this is a, uh, th- this was probably one of the key um, findings. So it wasn't that these student teachers were not supported. But it wasn't systematic. Mm. So it was just a matter of making sure that when we draw their attention to language or I don't know how to uh, write different paragraphs or how to write different texts, then they would have the necessary tools to do so. So it was a matter of raising awareness repeatedly and also... Um, it was a matter of oh another finding is about the pedagogy in higher education. So rather than trainers lecturing on CLIL, it was way more efficient when the when the lecturers used CLIL in their own lectures. Mm. So rather than me
1: Telling you what it is.
2: Exactly, sort of (laughs) preaching about what it is, then we would be doing it. So Mm. we would have sort of a lesson in class, so with the students, and then we would be analyzing that experience. Because in some cases, um, these students had never attended a bilingual school or they had never experienced bilingual education themselves. Mm-hmm. So it was very difficult for them to sort of envisage or imagine imagine that situation. Yeah. So they had to live it, um, you know, experience it themselves first so that, you know, it could um, make sense or they could relate to it. Um, so that was, again, a, a, another interesting it must finding. must have been quite a lot of, of reflection post-lesson,
1: was that incorporated yes. into the training? Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so that was really helpful. And then um, about agency, to um, encourage students to create their own materials, to create their own lessons, to adapt uh, resources that they could find online, Um and when you t- say, when
1: you say students, you you mean student teachers In or fact, the yes, students, student yes. Teachers,
2: yes, yes. student teachers. Um, <clears throat> so that was again a major finding. And, you know, it's not completely original and what I'm saying has been said before <laughs> a thousand <laughs> times. But it makes sense for these people uh, and, you know, for these programs and the student teachers and um, lecturers involved because this shows you, once again, that no matter how many papers we write on this or that or, you know, the research, uh, teacher education sometimes is lagging behind Mm. uh, in terms of uh, what's happening in Schools, or what could be working differently, or how things could be um, done more effectively, perhaps. Is that um,
1: because is that because there's not a real conversation between research and practice?
2: Um, yes, <laughs> 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 I know that's a very short sure answer, but it is because one of the things, and this is something that's happening with this other project on social justice that I am um, currently working on. So I am working with two teacher educators, you know, two teacher trainers, and they have now realized that they don't know anything about schools anymore Mm. because schools have changed so much and they are not in them. Mm. So they... They don't know um they feel like sort of alien now to the classroom. And it's funny, well it's ironic because they are preparing future teachers. (laughs) So they should know what's going on in the classroom. Absolutely. Um so that was um problematic, let's say, for these for my colleagues to realize because you know it's not it's not something nice <laughs> mm. um to, to sort of discover about yourself because then you feel that um you are not really helping these teachers, well future teachers. Um so that could be an issue. Um and in and in the case of CLIO, <clears throat> um it is important because, for example, in the case of Latin America, it is relatively new and we don't have enough programs that would specifically prepare teachers for CLIL,
3: mm.
2: and in some, you know, in some cases, teachers <clears throat> receive in-service teachers. I mean, um, receive a crash course or something that's uh, more sort of compressed, and that's not enough. And no. um, and there are lots of practical issues um,
1: around Um, them. A question just before we're going to go for um, a quick break for the news. But before I do that, um, that, I mean, my question for you would be um, at, as there is, there's a huge growth in in international schools, bilingual schools. I mean, in in Naples, where I live in the last, you know, eight years, there have probably been about four five and its I mean it's not a huge city but four or five bilingual schools have opened um and teachers ELT teachers have kind of just moved over to the international schools and um they haven't had the formal training that they probably need <laughs> to to do that properly um I mean it should should CLIL be part of, um, you know, a PGCE, teacher education from the very, very beginning?
2: I think so. Um, This is the case of Austria, if I'm not mistaken. So this, um, in Austria, they have teacher education programs where CLIL is embedded. Mm. And so, uh, for example, teachers Th- their qualification is to teach science through the medium of German or science through the medium of English.
3: Mm.
2: But that is because Lille has been <clears throat> included in the curriculum, in the teacher education curriculum from day one. Mm. So that at the end of the day will give you bilingual teachers. That's quite interesting,
1: though, because, I mean, Austria's got they've got other languages, other formal languages. Yes. Um, so uh, they could be doing and it in Italian. Th- or... <laughs> yeah. Yes. And, um, and
2: it is. Um, and I think that in that way, well, and some similar projects are taking place in the Basque country in particular. Mm. Um, because one of their concerns is whether the quality of the content in the additional language is the same as in the um, mainstream language, or whether because of CLIL or because of um, different factors, content uh, is watered down. In the bilingual lesson or in the um, English lesson as compared to, say, the Spanish.
1: Um, but lesson. is that is that because of the level of the students that are participating in the lesson? It
2: is because... Um, so th- there are... Um, so it could be because of the students and their level of English, for example, in the case of English, is not high enough so the teachers need to um, make the content easier. And it could be also connected to teacher's preparation because if it is, um, if the clear teacher is a teacher of English or the language teacher, and that teacher is teaching science, but what she knows or he knows about science is um, minimal, then that's, um, that creates problems. Um, But again, it's got to do with what kind of education we want and what kind of aims these programs or these schools have. And if parents are happy with that kind of education, then that's fine, I suppose. But it is a constant um, issue uh, around CLIL. Mm. I mean, teacher preparation and how to support teachers. Uh, Okay,
1: I'm going to pause pause you there and I will ask you some more about this when we come back from the break. We'll be right back.
3: This show is brought to you in partnership with John Katz Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides and magazines, specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: With the majority of pupils returning to schools this week, the new year has brought new announcements and new challenges for many in the education sector. Government advice about illness and staying away from education settings if you're sick was shared, and the issue of strikes remains a hot topic. Pressures on school leaders continue with The Guardian reporting that many headteachers are broken, at risk of heart attacks and exhausted as a result of the erosion of services for children and families meaning the burden of support is falling on the shoulders of schools too often. So, as the new year begins on a duller note than any of us might like, here are the top stories that have caught the eye of Teachers Talk Radio news this week. In Manchester, the Morning Star reports that students at one of the city's universities have launched a rent strike. Students at the University of Manchester are using the strike to press their demands for an end to what they describe as extortionate rents and their requests for a 30% cash rebate. Organisers say that more than 30 students per day are joining the protest, spurred by the combined effects of the cost of living crisis and poor quality accommodation provided at too high a cost. According to the National Union of Students, half of England's students are facing financial difficulty. With three quarters of these saying they expect this to have an impact on their studies. A previous rent strike in Manchester in 2021 was successful and students hope to replicate this outcome in this new wave of action. FE Week reports on Ofqual's decision to disband its committee of experts who advise on exam standards in favour of a more flexible approach on policy advice. The standards advisory group has been active for more than a decade, and was set up to help the exam watchdog maintain standards. Ofqual confirmed that the committee will be replaced to reflect a broader remit, such as expansions in vocational and technical qualifications and apprenticeships. Ofqual has faced criticism at and upheaval over decisions and communication during the pandemic. Deputy Chief Regulator Michael Hanton described the change as positive and will secure quality and fairness for all those who take and use qualifications. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who recently announced his ambition to have all young people study maths to the age of 18, has faced a barrage of criticism about his plan. The I newspaper reports that Robin Walker, chair of the Commons Education Select Committee, feels that the PM should be focusing more on the early years sector to boost education levels instead. He calls the maths plan highly challenging, citing the nationwide shortage of subject specialists as the biggest barrier. Mr. Walker, Conservative MP for Worcester and a former Education Minister, highlighted issues around recruitment and retention as people with maths qualifications are quite employable elsewhere, so it is a highly competitive market when it comes to drawing people into teaching. He added that focus on the early years sector would be the most effective way of supporting children, describing it as embarrassing that England's childcare system is rated so poorly compared to other countries. The Eye also carries news of the decision by Catherine Burblesing to step down from her role as social mobility czar. Miss Burblesing, once dubbed Britain's strictest head teacher, has made the surprise announcement because she believes she comes with too much baggage, going on to say that her propensity to voice opinions that are considered controversial puts the Commission in jeopardy. Miss Burblesing wrote of her decision in a column in Schools Week. A controversial figure for many, but with an equally vociferous fan base, Ms Bebel Singh also commented that she felt the role of social mobilities are meant that she was becoming a politician, but that this was not a skill set she wished to develop. Finally, ITV News reports on how parts of a Turkish Airlines plane have been delivered to a school in Alverston, South Gloucestershire, to be turned into a new library. The project, named Flying High by pupils, we'll see parts of the plane turned into a new outdoor reading area. Full details can be found on the ITV website with artist impressions of the final project showing children and adults enjoying new space. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing
4: on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello! Did you know I've been doing this show for a year now? Well, if you didn't, now you do. So shower me in gifts and love. I'm kidding. But there is one person or group of people I want you to think about as this term draws to a close. Your tech support. They may, in your mind, be the people that say no to a lot of stuff. They may stop pupils playing games and stop a lot of the web getting into your classroom. But they keep you, your data, and your network safe. This week, as some of us are off, and others are desperate to be, roll on Wednesday! Spare a thought for your techie. They'll be coming in over the break to patch and update. They'll be taking those broken machines and making them work again. These people, who in most schools are like ghosts. If Charles Dickens had had the privilege of tech support, they'd have been the spirits of modern-day make-do-and-mend. They wouldn't be draped in chains and padlocks, but come bearing an endless acceptable use policy. As you wind down, or if you have already, A thank you to your tech support will make your new year that little bit easier. Remember, next time you use tech in your lessons, everything is working because of them. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Let us know at TTR 2022. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Have a lovely break. Two Minute Tech
0: with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: and welcome back. Dario, what advice would you give teachers wanting to start
2: teaching CLIL? My advice would be to speak to other teachers to see um, whether this could be something that could be done at an institutional level so that you have um, institutional support. Um, so it would be beneficial, I would say, if teachers could work together, you know, two teachers, uh, three, four, but at least two teachers so that they could support each other. So that would be my first um, advice, you know, my first, yes, my, my first kind of suggestion. Um, and then to find more information about um, <clears throat> about cases of good practice. And uh, there are different, particularly in, in Italy, well, the EU in general has all these wonderful websites with lesson plans mm. and different resources. So they could take a look at all the materials and all the resources that teachers have been producing over the years just to have a flavor of what it may look like in practice and just take it from there and see what is doable um about CLIL because um as it is an approach then you don't have any set of like specific um guidelines that you need to follow. So it is uh, pretty much uh, in the hands of teachers to shape it in a way that they find um, doable, sustainable, beneficial, and that it doesn't require a lot of work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because again, this is one of the issues that teachers will have, that they don't have Enough time to prepare everything. No. So it's got to be something doable. And they could start little by little. So it could be something small, uh, perhaps, let's say, um, one lesson a month or something like that, so that they get um, the experience. A very
1: slow, gradual approach. Exactly. So,
2: yeah. So a gradual approach would be. Um, helpful so that then they become more confident and they can identify what works well and what things could be done differently. So I would go for something uh, small first Mm. because then if it is um, too ambitious and it doesn't work as you would think, then it becomes really frustrating and you don't want to do it again
1: <laughs> yeah i mean i kind of i i sympathize There, it's certainly um a lot of i mean there are so many wonderful wonder i mean and we forget i mean we don't forget we know that te- the teaching profession is a profession where we are expected to work before we go to work after work <laughs> you know it's not um it's not a 3 month holiday job <laughs> we're constantly working learning and i think the pandemic has really proven that you know of of all the all the um all the professions i think the teaching profession did an absolutely amazing job just switching from one day to the next online teaching and um you know but a lot of a lot of teachers particularly um working in foreign countries, uh, get thrown into this. And it, it, it isn't as simple as, as, as you, as you know, <laughs> to, um, to be a CLIL educator and you do need input and support. What, what resources do they need apart from training? <laughs>
2: <clears throat> so they, Um, For resources, they need um, the support of the institution and, of course, um, articles or books that have a practical orientation um, so that they have an understanding of different cases where CLIL has been implemented and in what contexts and what kind of resources the institutions that implement CLIL have already in place. Um, So in those cases where, because this could happen of course, in those cases where training is not available, Mm. then um, you have the literature and articles and books about CLIL and you could get in touch with teacher associations. And if, again, that is not an option, um, I usually encourage colleagues, teachers, to uh, carry out their own action research so that they sort of um, engage in self-initiated and self-led continuing professional development. And when you do it with or through action research, then you are generating your own knowledge and your own data and you're doing it for yourself. Mm. So you don't have to think about publishing it or presenting it at conferences. You can if you want, but primarily the aim of that research is to improve um, your own teaching and Mm. to reflect on your own teaching and to support your students in different ways. So I would say that that's, again, um, really important for teachers to realize that they can do it, um, because sometimes and in in some contexts they don't have the resources to um, implement LIL, which has been supported through teacher training, Mm. so they want to do it and some schools are really keen on Are implementing it, but they don't have, or there are no, let's say, trainers available, or they don't have a network that could support them. Um, Do you think there are any? I mean, I know the British Council
1: has online training for CLIL. mm -hmm. Um, Would there be any online um, courses that you would recommend?
2: I follow this group on Facebook. I'm trying to remember the uh the person who's behind this Facebook group uh, and it is about I think it's called CLIL Teachers mm-hmm. and they offer webinars. I think they are um yes, the, the yes, it's webinars and there's a website with materials. And there's another website called CLIL. Or you, I think, and they have this massive collection it It could be a bit dated now, but they have this massive collection of um lesson plans, mm. but they do not have webinars or courses that you could um, <clears throat> take up, unfortunately, I am not aware of I am aware of different courses, but they are part of university degrees. Mm yes uh, like i mean
1: yes. yeah i mean that that was one of the, th- the realities of um of italy is that that CLIL training is part of the university now so um it's it's all in in their hands um mm,
2: because i'm just now thinking of this this excellent program that's delivered entirely online by the university of Granada, I think, um, in Spain. Mm. So, and it is a master's program in CLIL. Wow. Um, and it is online. So, I think it is a very um, popular program, at least in, in Spain.
1: Is that for Spanish teachers or for? Um...
2: I think it is mainly for Spanish teachers, but mm. I'm not quite sure now. I mm. know that the, the director of the program, uh, Marisa Pérez Cánado, I don't know if that name sounds familiar. So she's a big name in in CLIL research, in, well, internationally, but in Spain in particular, and she's the director of that uh, of that program. Um, but I think it is primarily aimed at Spanish. Spanish. Yeah.
1: Richard, yes. Wonderful. Do you think little is the future of ELT? Um
2: I think bilingual education, so um a, and th- th- that's a very um, interesting question because I, I work with, as I said before, with Doe Coyle. Mm. She's the mother of Clean. And she is leaving Clean behind. Oh. So I keep on thinking if she is leaving it behind, <laughs> then I should be doing the same. Well, now, and they have produced. When was it that they published this book called Beyond Clear? So what they um, argue in that book is that we will be moving more into pluriliteracies um, so that we recognize the different literacies involved uh, in learning. Mm. And in the case of ELT, maybe the future of ELT, would be in connection to making sure that we teach the different literacies involved in um, in schooling in academic writing or in mm. everyday language, and that we make learners aware of the different like genres and um and uses of English in in practice,
1: rather than the grammar lesson. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
2: That, um, the that PPP. Be... <laughs> um,
1: yes. yes. It, it. And also, do do you, I don't know if you would agree with me? It, it's it might not just be about ELT. It might be about MLT, as in multi language teaching, because mm. now it's it's not just about English and another language, it can be two
2: or three different languages. Oh, yes. And this is, a pro- um, for example, the, this project that I am working on with So on uh, pluriliteracies in the Basque Country. So these teachers operate in three languages. So mm. it is um, Basque, Spanish and English. Mm. And so the lessons are delivered in those three languages. Uh, It's fascinating. Um, And in the case of the ELT teachers, they again recognize the benefits of utilizing what people call translanguaging, you know, utilizing Mm -hmm. all the languages that students have with them. And that again is important for teachers, because even though, of course, we have talked at length about the benefits of um, using the student cell one in the ELT classroom, it is still a taboo in some cases and <laughs> it's like it's a no-no, you know, this is an English lesson, so, and, of course, there are very valid reasons for prioritizing English and, and teaching English through English. But it doesn't work all the time in 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 every context.
1: No. And also so. I think with, with migration um and um immigration uh with refugees, uh we need to be incorporating many. So yeah, translating
2: Absolutely. So I think we just need to be more creative. Um
1: more creative Um, less less rigid
2: (laughs) yes absolutely absolutely and more aware of the context where we are teaching and who our students are um where they come from um not necessarily or not only geographically speaking but in Mm. terms of like their lead experiences what they need english for etc so i think there is um room for that and It is connected to policy and to curriculum development because we could have all these wonderful ideas, but then uh, policymakers have other interests or other plans. I have have... have a
1: really good story for you about that. When CLIL (laughs) was implemented in Italy, um, it was implemented from the final year of school.
2: Okay. (laughs) What's your
1: take on that? (laughs) And then they slowly, they gradually move back down the levels, so these poor fifth year um, just about to finish school suddenly had clear lessons as well (laughs) Um, but that's the the policy
2: makers (laughs) um, but it always happens it's always and again that's another sort of um, gap between research, practice, and policy. Mm. Um, And sometimes it is done for, well, sometimes, usually, it's done for political reasons because they need to show something Mm. um, to the public. Um, So they have, and I've seen that even in Argentina, uh, different schools implementing CLIL. without having trained the teachers mm. so they would implement first and then <laughs> train the teachers <laughs> um, so yeah that's also something to think about the sort of the, you know the alignment between policy um curriculum and practice and and teacher preparation because it very much depends on the different contexts. for example i am working with Chinese um, student teachers, and they are just fascinated by the notion of CLIeo. Mm. But at the same time, they know that it's going to be virtually impossible to implement in their schools in China, because it is the system is heavily test-driven. So they mm. have these high, uh, high-stake examinations, so everything is built around those exams. So they could not, you know, they cannot be creative or they they feel that they cannot do this or that because that doesn't
1: help with the exams. And there isn't a policy to allow them to do
2: that. Exactly, yes. So it is, and in some cases, because they've shown me in some cases, the policy doesn't say anything. But that doesn't mean that they will have the freedom to, to do something different. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in some other cases, the policy is very explicit and very clear about what they can and what they cannot do. Mm. Um, so, um, so.
1: I, I I'm I'm looking forward to your next um, your next research paper. What um how do you keep yourself motivated and, and on track? Um, You do a lot of different things. How do
2: you do that? Um, I think I keep myself motivated because I am privileged enough to do what I want. Um, (laughs) Lucky you. um, Yes, I have the agency and the freedom and the trust, I suppose, to... um, to um, do research on areas that I enjoy, to work with teachers. And what keeps me motivated is when I work with teachers and when I work with students and student teachers and um, other trainers. So that keeps me going because then you have an idea or then you see something else and they tell you something that, that they have been working on or they have a problem. Um, and they get in touch with me and we sort of discuss things um, with them. And I usually work a lot with um, teacher associations Mm. and it happened to me last year. So I usually work with ELT teachers, but last year I worked with teachers of French Hmm. uh, in Argentina um, because they wanted to implement CLIL. And um, again, to me, that was super exciting because I would be um, talking about CLIL with a completely different group of teachers, right? And um, I would be able to help them to some extent only because then it was going to be in French and I don't speak French. (laughs) Um, So that was fascinating. So I think those are the things that keep me um, motivated. When things work well in practice, and when they don't work well in practice as well, because then I want to find out why mm. or how things could be done differently. Um, so yes, and then I take a nap, and that keeps me motivated. So I always <laughs> have a nap. Um, so yeah, and I'm not yeah. giving up on it. <laughs> I'm yeah,
1: I, I am. I am a great believer in an afternoon nap. If I do have, even if it's like a twenty minute, um, yes the the rest of the afternoon um is more productive
2: i think i totally yes i agree with that and that's what i do and um that was one of the things i enjoyed the most during the pandemic because i was working from home mm. so i could have my nap <laughs> on a regular basis <laughs> every day <laughs> who
1: inspires you
2: um Teachers. Teachers inspire me a lot. Teachers who are working in um, teacher associations, uh, teachers who are involved in activism, they inspire me a lot uh, because they are using their personal time, even sometimes their own uh, financial resources Mm -hmm. to support projects to um support the community of teachers uh in their area um so they inspire me a lot because they have all these wonderful stories uh all you know and and it could be wonderful stories so they have of course sometimes really heartbreaking stories so they inspire me and um some research um in particular Uh, In my case, well, like Joe Coil or Emma Ushioda in the field of motivation. Um, But it's usually teachers, I would say, that inspired me.
1: Wonderful. And what are your plans for the future?
2: Um, My plans for the future are to be working more into um, teacher preparation and curriculum development. Mm. So I want to do more work on... How teachers are trained. Um, so that's my, uh, the line of research that I want to um, explore uh, in more detail now, mm. because I am interested in um, diversity and inclusion. <clears throat> and again, um, some teachers feel that they would love to do more in terms of gender diversity, for example, and inclusion, but they don't have the preparation. So um, again, it brings us back to teacher education and PGTE yeah. programs, etc. So mm-hmm. that's my kind of um, my line of, of inquiry in the future.
1: Yeah. I think you're you're definitely the right person to be doing this and I I wish you the best of luck with the policy and oh, and changing you. changing the um the way teacher education ev- is <laughs> evolves yeah. um it's wonderful that we've got someone who has the practical and the um the academic it it's a um it's a wonderful match. And it's wonderful when you meet people who are
2: doing that, yeah. Yeah, I find it out. Thank you, yes, I find it fascinating that I could still exploit um, those two areas, you know, mm. the practice and the theory and the research. And I have finally understood that things take time to change and the research that we are producing now might have an impact in 10 years' time, perhaps. Um And it's I all about... not that long. <laughs> well, hopefully, yes. Hopefully, sooner than that. But I think it is also a matter of how we communicate our research. Mm. Uh, because if I just go to a conference or publish a paper, then I don't think policymakers have the time to read an article to read a paper. Mm. So we need to find other ways of um, engaging with policy with school admin people, um, so that we make it more accessible, so that we make our research way more accessible. Otherwise, we are just preaching to the converted. <laughs> <laughs> Because that's the funny thing that is to say, mm. people who are interested in CLIL will read my articles. Absolutely, yeah, and <laughs> and that's but, where it ends. Yeah. But we
1: want people who who don't know anything about it to know exactly. about it. So and, again, it's, yep. it's
2: it's got to do with um, how we communicate our research. And in that regard, this radio program, this radio show, is exactly. <laughs> we need exactly (laughs) yeah Yeah, no but honestly it is what we need so that we make it more accessible and we make it um more realistic at the same time yeah yeah well we could inspire people so thank you again
1: i hope we can inspire (laughs) some people um uh the link is obviously where you download the um where you download the recording, so please do take some time to have a read. I'm sure what, whether you are an ELT teacher or whether you are um, teaching in primary or secondary mainstream teaching, um, there is, there's something for everyone I think and, and I, I you yeah, know, it's, it's fantastic the way you've covered so much. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time this morning um i've really really enjoyed talking to you and i will continue to follow you and and learn from you thank you again for your time
2: well thank you a lot jane for the invitation i have enjoyed uh this show and talking to you
1: okay i hope to um to see you again
2: (laughs) yes all the best (laughs) thank you